long Parliament meets. English Civil War begins. Assembly of Divines organized. Westminster Assembly takes the Reformation to the next level. These would be the headlines if you lived in Westminster, England in the year 1643. I'm Jack Lemoyne of History Moments at historyweblog.com. This podcast is for busy people on the go. A short and tiny, teeny-weeny, itsy-bitsy history break. The biggest events written by eyewitnesses, the greatest writers, the best historians. Today's moment is by David Mason from Life of Milton. For a clear understanding by audio, I paraphrase some words and phrases. All aboard! With the Puritans ascendant, how would they establish church government in England? In the first place, there was a system of views known as Presbyterianism. From the beginning of Elizabeth's reign, if not earlier, there had been nonconformists who held that some form of the consistorial model which Calvin had set up in Geneva and which Knox enlarged for Scotland was the best for England too. Thus Fuller, who dates the use of the term Puritans as a nickname for the English nonconformists, generally from the year 1564, and goes on to say that within a few years after that, the chief of those to whom the was the first applied were either dead or very aged, as, behold, another generation of active and zealous nonconformists succeeded them, inveighing against the established church discipline, accounting everything from Rome that was not from Geneva, endeavoring in all things to conform the government of the English church to the Presbyterian Reformation. Actually, in 1572, Fuller proceeds to tell us a presbytery, the first in England, was set up at Wandsworth in Surrey. In that year, a certain number of ministers of the Church of England organized themselves privately without reference to bishops or other authorities into a kind of presbyterial consistory or classical court for the management of the church business of their neighborhood. The heads of the, this Presbyterian movement, which generally gradually extended itself to London, had many clergymen with whom were associated a good many laymen. A summary of their views on the subject of church government was drawn out in Latin under the title Disciplinaria Ecclesia Sacra el Dei Verbo Descripta, and though it had to be printed in Geneva, became so well known that according to Fuller, it was as much honored by some as the establishment model by others. The English Presbyterianism, thus asserting itself and spreading through its ablest and most energetic leader in the famous Thomas Cartwright, uh, no less by practical ingenuity than by the pen, he labored for Presbytery, and under his direction, Presbyterianism attained such dimensions that between 1580 and 1590, there were no fewer than five hundred clergymen in the Church of England, most of them Cambridgemen, all pledged to general agreement in a revised form of the Wadsworth Directory of Discipline, all in private intercommunication among themselves, and all meeting occasionally at some appointed times in local conferences or even in provincial and general synods. In addition to London, the parts of the country that were most leavened with Presbyterianism were the shires of Warwick, Northampton, Rutland, Leicester, Cambridge, and Essex. 
Of course, such an anomaly of a, a Presbyterian organization of ministers existing within the body of the prelate system established by law and to the detriment or disintegration of that system could not be tolerated. And when Wright Gift had procured sufficient information to enable him to seize and prosecute the chiefs, it was in fact stamped out. But the recollection of Cartwright and of Presbyterian principles remained in the English mind through the reigns of James and Charles and characterized the main mass of the, most of, of the more effective and respectable Puritan, Puritanism of those reigns. In other words, most of those Puritans, whether ministers or of the laity who still continued members of the church, only protesting against some of its rules and ceremonies, conjoined with this nonconformity in points of worship a dissatisfaction with the prelate constitution of the church and a willingness to see the order of bishops removed and the government of the church remodeled on this Presbyterian system of parochial courts, classical or dis district meetings, provincial synods, and national assemblies. During the supremacy of Laud, indeed, when any such wholesome revolution seemed hopeless, it is possible that English Puritanism within the church had abandoned in some degree its dreamings over the Presbyterian theory and had sunk through exhaustion and to mere sighings after a relaxation of the established episcopacy. But the success of the Presbyterian revolt of the Scots in 1638 and their continued triumph in the two following years had worked wonders. All of the remains of native Presbyterian tradition in England had been kindled afresh, and new masses of English Puritan feeling, till then acquiescent in episcopacy, had been whirled into a passion for Presbytery and nothing else. When the long Parliament at its first meeting November 1640, addressed itself to the question of a reform of the English church. The voice that beat against its doors most strongly from the outside world opinion consisted no longer of mere sighings after a limitation of episcopacy, but a form determination of myrids to have done with episcopacy root and branch and to see a church government substituted somewhat after the Scottish pattern. Two years more of discussion in and out of Parliament had vastly enlarged the dimensions of this revived and newly created English Presbyterianism. The passion for Presbytery among the English laity had pervaded all the counties and scores and hundreds of parish ministers who had kept as long as they could within the limits of mere low church Anglicanism and had stood out in their private meetings, in their private reasonings for the lawfulness and expediency of an order of officers in the church superior to that of simple presbyters, if less worldly than the bishops, had been swept out of their scupperies and had joined themselves even heartily to the Presbyterian current. Thus, when the Westminster Abbey met, July 1643, to consider, among other things, what form of church government the Parliament should be advised to establish in England, in lieu of the episcopacy which it had been resolved to abolish, the injunction almost universally laid down upon them by already formed opinion among the parliamentarians of England, whether laity or clergy out of the assembly, seemed to be that they should recommend conformity with the Scottish Presbytery. All of the citizens, all of the respectability of London, for example, was resolutely Presbyterian, 
and of the 120 parish ministers of the city surrounding the assembly, only three, so far as could be ascertained, were not of strict Presbyterian principles. All right, thus Mason. So what does all this stuff mean? Well, the Reformation in England was established by Henry VIII with the idea that he was the king, he was the head of the church, and the church would answer to him. In other words, substituting the king for the pope. Both Henry and Elizabeth wanted the Christians and the idea of the Reformation and the people in church all docile and humble and not causing any trouble. One church instead of Catholic Church, the Church of England. With all this stuff about Presbytery and doing away with Episcopalian principles, that meant not the government uh, that came from the king or the queen, but it was from the people. And it also taught the multi-church of the religious life of England. Want the rest of the story? Go to historyweblog.com, click on the link Stories. They're in alphabetical order. Scroll down to... All aboard! Westminster Assembly takes the Reformation to the next level. Related stories at christian.historyweblog.com Talk to you tomorrow?